So I'd like to begin by asking you a question. When you hear the word mystery, mystery, what comes to your mind? I sometimes think of different TV programs or films where you've got this famous detective, you've got a a problem that's being solved, a mystery that's being solved. I wonder who your favorites are. Maybe it's Sherlock Holmes, or are you more into kind of the Agatha Christie or Poirot? Who's your favorite detective who solves mysteries? I grew up um, enjoying reading Enid Blyton books. Did anyone read the famous five, Secret Seven? The, the, was it the three investigators or the five, the investigators and the hardy boys? These were the ones, the mystery solvers that I grew up with. Well, why am I talking about this? Today in our text, in Ephesians chapter three, we are reading about the mystery of God. And I wonder what we think when we hear that phrase, the mystery of God. Mystery in the New Testament is used often And it describes something that used to be hidden, but now has been revealed to God's people. Jesus himself spoke about the mystery of the kingdom of heaven. The mystery that he was revealing God's purpose to his disciples. And the Apostle Paul, more than 20 times, writes about the mystery, the mystery of God or the mystery of Christ. And here in Ephesians chapter 3... Well, four times this word mystery is used. In verse 5, we read this. This mystery, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. The mystery used to be hidden. But God is revealing the mystery of Christ to us. But what is that mystery? Well, Paul goes on to write, Verse 6, this is the big reveal. Are you ready for it? Verse 6, the mystery of Christ is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. What is then the mystery of Christ? The mystery of Christ is that we all, by God's grace, can share in the promise of Christ Jesus. The mystery is this complete union of Jews and Gentiles with each other through the union of both with Christ. Paul writes to the Galatians, says there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. You're all one in Christ. We're not only united with Christ, but we're united with each other. And Paul, it seems to me, when he's writing this text to the Ephesians. He's really excited about this truth. This is really, really important for him. You see, at the beginning of this text in verse 1, he's just about to start praying. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, he's just about to pray. His prayer actually doesn't appear until verse 14. He says it again, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. And then we have this most incredible prayer. But why does he stop? Why? After verse 1, he's just about to pray and he's distracted. He's distracted by the mystery of God and he kind of stops his prayer and he says, I really want 
you to understand this. I want to explain what is this mystery that was hidden and has been made known. He is distracted, he's captivated, he's excited and enthusiastic about the wonderful truth of the mystery of Christ. And that mystery is the gospel is for all peoples. Not just for those of us living in the United Kingdom, but the gospel is for all. This is the mystery of Christ. And he goes on in verse 8 to speak about the grace that he has received in order to be able to preach about this mystery, to help people understand how wonderful this mystery of Christ is. He uses this wonderful phrase in verse 8. I've received God's grace to make known the mystery of Christ and to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. I don't know in your translation what phrase you have here. The boundless riches of Christ. What does that mean? The the word boundless can be translated in many different ways. Some translations will say unsearchable riches of Christ. You have other words like inexplorable, untraceable, unfathomable, inexhaustible, inscrutable, incalculable, infinite. Paul is distracted by the mystery of Christ. He even pauses his prayer and he's so excited to help people to see. This is incredible. This is unsearchable. This is boundless. This is infinite. He's describing the wealth of what God has and what he gives and he offers. Job, there's a similar phrase in Job as he's trying to describe the works of God in creation. And God says they are beyond understanding. The miracles of God cannot be counted. Something that cannot be tracked out. God performs wonders that cannot be fathomed. And Paul is describing the boundless riches of Christ in the same way. So what are these riches and what do they mean for us living in the 21st century, living out our lives, trying to follow Jesus and understand what it means to follow Jesus? Well, the boundless or the unsearchable riches, I've got a list. Are you ready for my list? You're still with me, yeah? Paul got distracted. I hope you're not getting distracted. This is important stuff. For Paul, it was important. I think it's important for us. The mystery of Christ, the unsearchable riches. Firstly, friends, we can be reconciled with God. We were separated from him. We were going in a certain direction. We were living in darkness. And God, by his grace, has called us. And we have turned and we've repented from going in this direction and we've received the new life that's found in Christ. We're reconciled with God. We're forgiven. We're accepted. This is good news. There's no more hostility. We can now live at peace with God. We've turned. We're victoriously enthroned with Christ in the heavenlies. Wow, the promise of eternity. Whatever we're facing today, When I walked into this church building, I just thought of those words, the Lord Jesus saying, do not let your hearts be troubled. You trust in God, well, trust also in me. Is that a word of encouragement for some of us today? The promise of eternity, whatever we're facing today, God is with us through the power of his Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, he's with us. And we have the promise of eternity. 
And of course, the mystery of Christ, we're incorporated with Jewish believers into the body of Christ. The the gospel is for all. We are adopted into his family, members of his kingdom. We're children of the king, followers of the king, dwelling in his kingdom. And we will be resurrected from the death of sin. We are resurrected from the death of sin. We were separated. We were living in sin. And we know that the wages of sin are death. What we deserve for living in, a, in, in disobedience to God is death, eternal separation from God. And yet he saved us. We're alive. The wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. This is good news. Paul is excited about it. We should be excited, shouldn't we? God at work in us through the power of his Holy Spirit as we turn to him by his grace. We become, we have access to the Father through Christ and by the Spirit. He he writes about that in verse 12. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. We can come before God, a holy God, not because we're righteous, but because of Christ's righteousness. We can boldly approach the throne of grace. Becoming an integral part of his dwelling place among men. We're part of the body of Christ. And all of this only a foretaste of the riches that are yet to come. The riches, the boundless, unsearchable riches that, that Paul writes about. We've received, we are receiving and we will receive freely available to us in Christ. And the riches, the good news of Christ, such great News is freely available to everyone. The gospel for all peoples. That's the theme of this special mission Sunday. The gospel for all. I get the privilege sometimes of visiting different mission partners and workers and just in the summer being in Zambia, visiting an area, a shanty town called Makalulu. They tell me it's one of the largest, most, um, Difficult areas, one of the most poorest areas in sub-Saharan Africa. Tens of thousands of people living in this place. Most of the children aren't receiving an education. There's terribly high unemployment, terrible problems with alcoholism and crime and abuse. And it's just, it's a really, really difficult place. We could say a dark place, and yet there are lights shining in the darkness. We visited mission partners, churches who are reaching out into this community. One lady, Anne, from Scotland, she's been there for nine years. And I was just blown away by the, the way God is working in this, in this lady and through her. And she started this Mercy House ministry and care for HIV, AIDS patients. There's, there's a football club that started in the local church are reaching out to young people daycare, uh, day centers for kids, helping them um, take steps towards having an education. It's the most extraordinary thing, God at work. And we're talking today about good news for all people. I saw, wow, Jesus, good news for people in Zambia. And we can go around the world. I just received a newsletter as I was on the train traveling here from a friend in Romania And he's from a Roma background and he's sharing about how God is working in Roma communities in the south of Romania. And it's just so encouraging. 
a village called Paduren, and many people have put their faith in Jesus, and a community is being transformed. Children are receiving education, and people are hungry for God's word. It's not just a theoretical religion, but a relationship with Jesus that's changing people's lives. It's good news for people in Romania. And then we think of a country like Ukraine and going through such terribly difficult time. And of course, we hear of these terrible things happening all the time with the war, especially in the East and the South. Eight million Ukrainians have fled the country. Another eight million internally displaced. We're praying for Ukraine. We're praying for Russia, aren't we? Terrible situation. And yet we're hearing the churches in the western part of Ukraine are saying we are having unprecedented opportunities of sharing and demonstrating the love of Christ. They're saying people are flooding into our churches who have been displaced from the east and they weren't in contact with an evangelical church and they're coming and they're hearing the good news and responding to Jesus. In the midst of terrible suffering, God is at work. In the country where I've had links for many years in Moldova, we're just blown away by the way that the evangelical churches are reaching out to Ukrainian refugees, tens of thousands. And it's the church that is displaying the good news of the gospel. So wherever we go around the world, we do see the truth that the gospel is good news for everyone, for all peoples. Paul wrote about this to the, uh, to the Romans. And he says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. It doesn't matter your your ethnicity, your background, where you live. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But then he goes on to say, there is a problem. You see, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But, verses 14 and 15, how can they call on the one they've not believed in? How can they believe in the one that they've not heard about? How can they hear without someone going and preaching to them and sharing with them? And how can anyone preach unless they're sent? And, well, those who are sent, they have beautiful feet. What do your feet look like today? Have a look at your feet. Not the person next to you. Look at your feet. Are they beautiful? Have our feet been beautiful this week? In the places they've taken us to share the good news of the gospel? What will our feet look like in the coming week? Will they take us to places where we can tell people the hope we have in Christ, the mystery of Christ, the wonderful, boundless riches of Christ? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's really, really good news. But the problem is there are so many people who have yet to hear. We're sharing a planet with around 8 billion people. Did you know that perhaps 3 billion of them have never heard the gospel, never heard the good news of Jesus Christ? And it's actually worse than that. It's not just that 3 billion have never heard, but more than 2 billion of those people live in places, in, in, in towns, villages, communities, where there is no gospel witness. More than 2 billion people in the world today will live and die 
humanly speaking, never having had an opportunity of meeting a follower of Jesus. How will they hear if no one goes to tell them? Remember when Helen, my wife, and I first went to Moldova and we took a group of young people. We had young people from Romania and Ukraine. And there we were going around different towns and cities, connecting with local churches and going out and preaching the gospel. An incredible openness to the gospel in the early 1990s. And we were seeing many, many people come to faith. The church just growing in incredible ways. There was such a hunger to hear the truth of the gospel. We went to one city, Cahul, in the south of the country, and there we went. We were invited to a teacher training college. I say we were invited, we kind of invited ourselves, and we went in and we spoke to the director and said, we've come to bring the message of the Bible. Can we speak with the students about Jesus and what it means um, to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus? And the director was a little bit suspicious, but she said, well, I'll get all the students together, and you've got 20 minutes but don't go over time, you've got 20 minutes. A good Anglican, you know, you have to be on time. So she gave us 20 minutes. And there we were, and we shared this message. There was 400 students, 20 uh, uh, of the, the, the teachers in the front row. And we were a little bit nervous. And we stuck to our time. We shared a simple message from John 3.16. Someone shared a testimony And we shared our hope in Jesus. And after 20 minutes, I looked at the director and she said, well, carry on. This is interesting. Carry on. (laughs) And I promise for the next two hours, we had this captive audience, 400 students, 20, uh, 20 teachers listening to the word of God. We all shared our testimony. We, We all had a go at preaching. We all... They were hungry to know the good news of Jesus. But you know, the, the thing that really spoke to me, was that after a little while, one of the ladies got really angry. One of the teachers jumped up to her feet and she shouted in Moldovan, which some Romanian friends here might know. She shouted, why have we never heard this message before? She was angry, not because we were teaching and sharing about Jesus, She was angry because she was saying, if this is true, why has no one told us until now? There she was, 40 or so years old, and no one had ever gone to tell her about Jesus. And she was angry. And I wonder how many of the two billion people in the world who have yet to hear would be angry, would be upset, but would turn to him if they just had the opportunity of hearing Why have we never heard this message before? Paul, here to the Ephesians, he's speaking of the mystery of Christ, the boundless riches of Christ. And then he goes on and he he recognizes that by God's grace, he is called to go and to teach, to go and to help people understand. He uses a word here in verse 9. It's an interesting word. He says, the the grace of God is upon me to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which used to be hidden, but now it's been revealed. It's those words, to make plain to everyone. It's an unusual phrase used in the New Testament. It's not the usual phrase to describe preaching. It's literally 
make plain or to enlighten. God has called me, he says, to enlighten, to shed light, to reveal something of the mystery of Christ and the boundless riches of Christ. It's the same word that's used to describe Paul on that road to Damascus. Saul of Tarsus is walking in darkness. He thinks he's going in the right direction. He thinks he's serving God. But actually, when he meets Jesus and, you know, has this incredible vision of the Lord, he's blinded for that moment. And and the Lord says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And it's a moment of enlightenment for Saul of Tarsus. When he sees Jesus, he was going in one direction and Jesus appears. And in that moment of enlightenment, as we think of that, there's a very famous um, picture that was painted about 400 years ago. Let's see if we can get that on the screen. Now, if you look at that picture, it was painted in 1601. Does anyone here know who was the painter? Someone I reckon here will know. Have a guess. An Italian artist. Yes. It wasn't. It wasn't. It was Caravaggio. So Caravaggio paints this, this well-known, this, this painting of Saul of Tarsus' conversion. Now, of course, it was painted 1600 years after the event. But I wonder if God, by his spirit, somehow inspired this artist to capture something of the essence of what was happening at that moment. That moment of enlightenment. Yeah, I'm not, a, I'm not really, I don't want to say I'm not really into art, but I don't really understand art very much. People will show me pictures and tell me what it means and what, how I'm supposed to feel, and I never quite feel the right thing. But this has really spoken to me. This is really, there's something there. I don't know if you can see the expression on Saul's face. What's surprising is there's no fear. It's an expression of absolute submission and just surrendering to God. You see his arms, that moment of meeting Jesus and he's saying, Lord, I receive you. That moment where he is being enlightened and he's completely abandoned and surrendered to the Lord. His eyes have been opened. He has been enlightened and he says now in this text in Ephesians 3, I I know I'm called to help to enlighten others, to make plain to others, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. To help others to understand the boundless riches of Christ. The incredible mystery of Christ. This is so important. I'm living my life for this, says Paul. I was blind and now I see and I want others to see. I want others to experience Christ in the same way that I'm experiencing him. How about us? Once we have had that moment of enlightenment, the Lord has opened our eyes. Now we see. Are we growing in our sight, in our understanding of what it means to follow Jesus? Completely submitting ourselves to him, surrendering that vulnerability of saying, Lord, here am I. Work in me. Use me as you want to use me. 
We've been enlightened as Paul was enlightened and Paul understood that calling to help others to understand Christ in the same way. And then finally, as we move towards the end in verse 10, you're still with me, yeah? Verse 10, this gets even better, I think. Paul says his intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to everyone, to the rulers, authorities in the heavenly realms. The manifold wisdom of God. We, we read some challenging things sometimes. Sometimes I just read through scripture and then I have to stop and think, what, what, what on earth does that mean? The manifold wisdom of God. Or manifold in this context means literally something that's multicolored. That word is usually used to describe flowers that are beautifully embroidered onto a cloth or woven into a carpet. Manifold in this context in the scriptures normally speaks of something like a, a, a beautiful tapestry that is being woven together. And the church is to be this beautiful tapestry woven together, multicultural, multiracial, multicolored, displaying the wisdom of God, beautifully brought together. This is the mystery. This is God's plan, the gospel for all peoples, for all of us. And so we have to ask the question, well, how how can this gospel be made known? How can others be enlightened in the same way that we, in the same way that the Apostle Paul was enlightened? Well, he simply says it's through the church. God will be known. His wisdom will be known. The manifold wisdom of God will be known through the church. And then I stop and think, wow, what an extraordinary calling for us. We who are part of the church, we who follow Jesus. We have this responsibility, not just to come along to a church on a Sunday morning and kind of tick a box, I've done my religious thing, and then go about our lives. Our Christian faith is to be all-encompassing, all all-consuming. Following Jesus is not just a Sunday morning thing, is it? Following Jesus, to know him, to experience him and the boundless riches found in him, and to live our life being ever more enlightened and helping others to experience what we're experiencing. When Tasha was sharing about your church's mission involvement, you know, I feel really quite humbled to preach, to speak on mission in a church that is so engaged in mission. It's like preaching to the choir. You are as a church, making plain the manifold wisdom of God. You're helping people to experience the boundless riches in Christ. Teaching, discipling, sending, encouraging, supporting mission partners all around the world. It is so encouraging to be a part of a church and to be involved and to hear what you as a church group, as followers of Jesus, are doing. My prayer is that as we have been looking at this text, that we would be encouraged once again. Maybe we'd be inspired even more to think, how can I be involved in making the mystery of God, the wisdom of God known in his world? John Stott 
will be known to many people, this great theologian of the last of the 20th century, Bible teacher, of course, ministered here at All Souls for many, many years. And John Stott wrote these words. He said, history is the theater. The world is the stage. Church members in every land are the actors. God himself has written the play. He directs and produces it. Act by act, scene by scene, the story continues to unfold. I wonder what you think when you hear those words. When we're reminded that God's plan is the church and that God has entrusted us, that's you and me, part of the church, to make him known. As we, as followers of Jesus, as we give sacrificially, as we serve others selflessly, the mystery of the gospel is demonstrated. The beautiful tapestry of the manifold wisdom of God is made known. But we recognize the huge responsibility, the incredible calling that God has placed in us as followers of Jesus. So we finish with the thought. We've been enlightened. Our eyes have been opened by God's grace to the wonderful mystery of God. We've experienced something of the infinite boundless riches in Christ. We're experiencing his life, being transformed by him. So indescribably wonderful, surely we'll want to tell others. We want others to see a difference in our lives. We won't hide that light. We want to share the good news of Jesus with others. And we'll be challenged by the question, what part, what role has God called me to play? What role has God called you to play? In his great story. Shall we pray? Father, as we, as we look at these words written 2,000 years ago to a group of Christians in Ephesus, Lord, we are challenged. We're challenged and reminded afresh of the mystery of Christ, the gospel for all people. We're challenged when we recognize, Lord, 2,000 years later, there are still so many who are yet to hear and, and will not be able to hear. Lord, show us what we can do. Help us, Lord, as we grasp more the wonderful truths of the gospel and the incredible, infinite riches found in Christ. Help us, Lord, to know how to respond. So that so many more people will get to hear the good news of Jesus and experience him. Just as we experience him. Lord, help us to recognize the part that you are calling for us to play in your story. And Lord, may we respond and say, here we are. That vulnerability and that openness and with total abandon saying, Lord, here we are. Would you use us? to make a difference in your world for your sake and for the furtherance of the kingdom of Lord Jesus. For we pray in his name. Amen.